it's Josh Cheer, one of the pastors at West Valley Christian Church, where we exist to love God and love people. Beyond the Walls has been our theme for 2018. Please join us as we revisit this theme and discover how the church in Acts went beyond their walls and find out how we can go beyond ours. I just finished a, a morning of, well, what I would say is the sea giving up some beautiful fish. I had just finished pulling up my nets and I was tending to my hands that were just filled with blood. That wasn't an unusual thing. You think that if I had done this every day, I'd grown some calluses that were strong enough, but nonetheless, again, this day, I was tending to the needs of my hands. When out of nowhere, I heard my brother's voice. Andrew is his name. And he said, Simon, He's here, the Messiah. He's here. Well, that might not mean a whole lot to you, but that's what we had been anticipating all of our life. Now, I can't get into all of the details, but I got myself out of the boat, and I met this Jesus for the very first time. He said, uh, Simon, I want you to cast your nets and come follow me. I want you to be fisher of men now. I don't know why, but something stirred within me that made this feel just, just the thing I needed to do. And so I turned my back on the sea that day. Perhaps my occupation, my family, and maybe my tradition to follow Jesus. And he said, Simon, your name now is Peter. Well, <laughs> it didn't take long. He had gathered a group of us. And, and the truth was, I thought, why in the world would he have picked him? And I'm not going to tell you who him was, but I thought this is going to be a long, it's going to be a long day. Well, I didn't know those days would turn into weeks and months and years. But nonetheless, I followed Jesus. I made that commitment that day. I didn't know why and how and when, but I did. And one of the first things that I got to see right, right up front, right, there was this wedding going on in Cana. And, 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 and all of a sudden, uh, uh, Jesus' mom walked up to him, and they were talking. And then, and then the next thing I know is Jesus is pointing to all these servants, and they get going. And they grab these barrels, and they disappear. And everyone else is having this great party, and all, all of a sudden, these men return, and they're pouring wine out of these bottles. And I'm thinking, where in the world did they get this? I would soon learn that those were bottles once filled with water. And Jesus turned them into wine. I got to see stuff like this every day. He, he would take a blind man that couldn't see, and then all of a sudden uh, he would speak to him, and, and the man would be able to see, and, and there'd be someone that was paralyzed uh, for, for the entirety of their life, and everyone's going, oh, you must have sinned, or, or your parents must have sinned, and Jesus would communicate, and all of a sudden this guy would be able to walk. It was absolutely amazing to hang out with this guy. 
And the crowds, at first they were just small, but then people began to hear about this Jesus and everyone wanted to be around him. What was the next thing that this Jesus was going to do? And if I was honest, I, I got a front row seat and I, I was always wondering, every morning when I woke up, what was, what was Jesus going to do now? One day, Jesus was teaching, and man, that guy could teach. And when he spoke, he spoke with power, and he spoke with authority. And, 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 and even though there was thousands, many times, and on this day particularly, there was about 5,000 men. That's not even including women and children. Who, who knows how many thousands of people were on this hillside? You could literally hear the drop of a coin. Because when Jesus spoke, everybody listened. Well, that day, as Jesus kind of paused, you could kind of hear the grumbling. And it wasn't the grumbling of, of, of attitudes that were agitated. It was just stomachs that were hungry. And so we started talking, Jesus, these guys are hungry. What are we going to do? Now, I know you guys have this thing called Uber Drive. We didn't have that back then. The next thing you know, this little boy offered up his lunch and Jesus was able to turn those few fish and few loaves of bread into enough, now listen to this, enough food, not just to feed Jesus or, or feed us, his disciples. He fed the entire crowd. This is what it was like to hang out with Jesus. Could you imagine if you were there and you saw it? I saw it. And as if that wasn't enough, then all of a sudden there was all these leftovers and Jesus ordered us to just fill up all these sacks and give out leftovers to everybody. And I learned that when Jesus gives, he, he gives. He gives abundantly. It was so humbling to hang out with Jesus. There's so much more I could share with you. But one day, uh, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the keys to the church. Now, you need to understand the context. I, I had no idea what any of that meant. If he said temple, maybe I'd have an idea. And then he would go on to say, and he looked me in the eyes when he said this, and he said it with such power and conviction. He says, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not prevail again. As Jesus shared that with me, I had no clue what he was talking about. But I knew it was going to happen, whatever it was. I have to say something. Because everything I've shared has kind of been good things, but not everything was good. Uh, not everything was even good for me, particularly. I'm one of those guys that kind of is a <laughs> fire, then aim kind of guy. I don't really think before I speak, and, and that got me into a lot of troubles with the other guys. Got me into some trouble with Jesus. I, um, I'm embarrassed to say this, but Jesus called me out one day and he said, Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny me. As a matter of fact, you're not going to deny me once. You're not going to deny me twice. You're going you're gonna to deny me three times. 
And in my heart of hearts, I thought, this is the one time Jesus is wrong. Because I didn't have control over any, anything else he was doing, but I knew. And now, I know he might have saw, saw that in me, but there's no way I was going to deny him once, let alone two or three times. And yet it took me three times. Three times I denied Jesus Christ. And after it, every time I, I just realized I, I was doing wrong, but I, I felt the pressure as Jesus was being beaten and I could even hear that. I, I thought, I don't want to be the next guy. And because of that, fear scared me. And, and, and fear was the same thing that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's Jesus that gave his whole life for me. Here's Jesus did all these amazing miracles. Here's Jesus that performed and gave sight to the blind like I shared and, and hearing to the deaf. It was this Jesus that I knew could do anything. But as they were beating him, I thought, man, if I'm associated with that guy, I'm going to die too. It's not a proud moment in my story, but I have to share it. Because although being with Jesus was good, there were times where I wasn't so good. In the garden where he was so vulnerable. When all he asked for us was in his time of need, in his time of heartbreak, he, he said, can you guys just hang out with me? Can you just be there next to me? And can, you, can, can, can we pray? And I remember being woken up by those words. Really? You're going to sleep at a time like this? And I thought, oh, oh, no, no, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I, was do I, 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 I promise I won't. And the next thing I know is I fell asleep again. But this time, to Jesus, my friend, my mentor, the one that was discipling me and pouring into me, being assisted out of the garden, I don't want to talk about the next thing. But I'll only say this. The pain and the torment and the torture that Jesus went through on that cross was like nothing you will ever see or hear in your lifetime. And it wasn't even the nails. It wasn't even the outcries from the crowd. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But it's what crushed his heart. That hurt mine. I started to get what he was talking about. In those three years of ministry, it wasn't about healing blind and it wasn't about giving hearing to the deaf or raising the paralyzed so they could walk again. It was about having right relationships with our creator, God Almighty. And he did all that. And because of my disobedience, 
That's what crushed his heart. And then I think about the magnitude of not just my sin, but the whole world's sin. Me and the guys, we, we didn't quite know what to do. There's talk about just getting the heck out of there because everyone knew we were associated with this Jesus. But do you remember my brother's name, Andrew? When I was sitting in the boat after finishing a morning of fishing, and I heard Andrew's voice say, Simon, the Messiah's here. My brother, the same voice screamed, Peter, Jesus, Jesus, he's alive. He, he's alive. I thought, what are you talking about? He can't be. I watched it. I saw it. I heard it. He's dead. And it says, no, he's alive. Come see. And when we got to meet with Jesus and, and he told us about he had to leave again and, and we understood. And it was just like when we were listening to him teach about the temple being destroyed and then he was going to raise it up three days later. This is what we saw. Everything that Jesus said and did, it was, it was, it was coming into clear picture. I could see it. It made sense. Kind of. And he says, I got to leave again, but I'm going to come back. He says, but I'm going to leave you with the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he, he says to, to all of us, he says, now, everything I've trained you with, everything you've heard about, what, what I want you to do is now I want you to go and be my witnesses. I want you to share about everything that you've seen and heard. And I want you to share right here in Jerusalem. And then I want you to share in Samaria. And I want you to share in Judea. And then I want you to share all the way to the ends of the earth. The next thing you know, I'm standing on Pentecost before my people. Thousands and thousands of them. And for whatever reason, I'm not shaking in my boots. And, and, and typically in a situation like this, I'm thinking, I am so inadequate. Why me? How, how am I the one of all the guys that's going to stand here and preach to these people that put Jesus up on the cross? And you know what? I had a quiet confidence. And I did it. And they say, Peter, what, what shall we do then? And Because they were cut to the heart. And then I said, well, you need to repent. You need to change your ways. And you need to be baptized. You need to be immersed in that water for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And over 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus that day. It was absolutely amazing to be on the front row of that, to see what God wanted to do in the lives of these people. Well, it didn't end there. As you know, the church just continued to grow and the Holy Spirit was working and people's lives were being turned upside down and inside out and, and the gospel was being pushed forward. Uh, John and uh, I were at the gate of beautiful and we were just walking in. There was a guy that says silver and gold, you know, please, please, please. And, and I remembered, <laughs> John's like silver and gold we do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Uh, we didn't get to, we got to see a lot of this stuff, but now we were them. With the Holy Spirit, we were able to help draw people to the Lord. And then it just got so out of hand that, that some of uh, the church uh, members, uh, the former Jews were 
struggling because the widows weren't all being taken care of. And there was this kind of group over here and this group. And you're like, oh, you're taking care of these ones, but not these ones. And all of a sudden there's these politics in the church. And we had to realign and we prayed and we said, man, we got to be the ones preaching. And so we found seven people that were godly people. And, and one of them was Stephen. And Stephen went out there and he was just an amazing, humble man. And, and, and part of what happened in his life is he just, he couldn't help it but to share Jesus with others. And this got him in trouble to the point where he was stoned at the approval of this guy named Saul. Now, Saul was a guy that no one wanted a part of if you were a Christ follower. Saul was a Pharisee of all Pharisees, and he had such an angry streak about him and an arrogant righteousness about him. And he was going out there finding Christians left and right. Well, he was stoned, Stephen. And we thought we would retreat back in Jerusalem and just kind of re, 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 regroup, but instead we scattered. And one of those deacons named Philip, he goes out there, and he goes beyond the walls. I mean, he went to an area that none of us thought of. He went to Samaria, and he started, he started teaching the Samaritans. Now, in my culture, those were people that you did not want to associate with. They were half-breeds. Um, they'd sold out. And yet here's Philip going and sharing the good news. But the one that really shook us all was, remember that guy Saul? When he made his way to uh, Damascus, and, and what we learned later was he was going to go find a bunch of people of the way, Christians, and he was going to have them imprisoned. Well, God zapped him. <laughs> And there was this interaction, and I'm not going to get into all the details, but Saul, this guy that was filled with such angst against Christianity, the one that tried to snuff it out single-handedly, this Saul now was a Christ follower. And I couldn't believe it. When I heard that Saul was a Christ follower, I didn't believe it. And I, I was very um, hesitant to accept him. I thought, oh, he's trying to do something sneaky and kind of undergroundish to take us out. But Saul's life was turned upside down, inside out. It was truly amazing. You fast forward, I'm, I'm, I'm living on the Sea of Galilee uh, or hanging out there uh, at uh, Simon, the tanner's house. I know some of you are thinking, was there any other names than Simon, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, he lived next to Simon, the, the manager at Starbucks, and then lived next to... I was really hungry uh, one day, and I was meditating, and I made my way up onto the roof. And, and just before I was about to eat a meal, I fell asleep. And I had this vision. Now, as I share this, I realize it sounds ridiculous. It, it, it was ridiculous, believe me, have been the one that experienced it. But what I saw is a sheet coming down from heaven. And, and, and all four corners were making their way down from heaven, this big white sheet. And on the sheet were all these four-legged animals. And there was also reptiles and there was, there was birds. And the sheet just com continued to make its way down. And then I heard the voice kill and eat <laughs> and in this vision i'm like no 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 lord this boy doesn't eat anything that's unclean and then the voice of god said peter don't call anything i make unclean Amen. i'm like what i don't get this what what what, what does all that mean 
And then the voice said, uh, you're going to need to go downstairs. And uh, we'll finish this out. And I woke up. And I went downstairs. And there was two guys down there. And they said, we're from a, a guy named Cornelius' house. And I know Cornelius. Man, he was a God-fearing man. He wasn't Jewish. But he would pray, and his family was amazing. But, you know, we didn't associate with him because he's a Gentile. Uh, incredible leader. A lot of influence. And, and, and these guys said, hey, Cornelius has sent us to, 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 to take you to his house. I'm like, what? Oh, I, don't, I, I don't get all this. But, but the next morning I got up and I, I got some of my people and, and the Cornelius people. They led us over, over to his home. And, and when I got to the door, I thought to myself, Peter, you are not allowed to enter into a Gentile's house. I mean, you know what will happen if, you, you, if it's known that you go there. And yet I realized that, that God had already kind of been working on me because I was actually staying at Simon Tanner's house. And if you don't know what a Tanner is, he would take the skin of a, a dead animal and, and he would just work that skin and it was fascinating. I wish I could just share about that. I mean, they would take the dung of animals and spread it all over and work that into that, that skin and soften it up and they had all these processes and by the end of it, it would be this beautiful piece of leather. So I'm at, you know, that's, I'm, I'm at a home of someone that's working with unclean animals. Ah! questionable but am I going to enter into this home I did Cornelius immediately comes and he bows down before me I'm like no 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 man bows before me that's 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 only before God and he gets up and he apologizes and he says Peter I'm not sure what this is all about and I'm like, I'm not sure what this is all about. And I began to share with him this vision. He's like, stop right there. He goes, he goes, that's the same thing that I had. I had the same kind of vision. And God asked me to call for you and bring you over here. So God, God was working in both of our lives at the same time. And he connected us. And then I shared with Cornelius. I'm like, Cornelius, I said, here's the deal. You know about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know about what my people did to G- Jesus. They, they, they put him on a cross and they, they crucified him. Yet he was raised to, to, to life. And, and then you, you heard about my, me preaching all about the good news of Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thousands. I know I've heard about it. I've heard about this church. You can't live here and not hear about it. And I shared the gospel with Cornelius, and he and his household became believers. Now, for you and I, that may not make sense and what, what the big deal was, but here it is. Philip goes and shares with the half-breeds, the Samaritans, and that's a big deal. But now the gospel is for everybody. It's not just for the chosen Jews. God was setting this up and the keys. Remember that vision or that, that communication of what Jesus gave me, the keys to the church? I believe this is one of those keys. He unlocked the gospel message for the Gentiles and for everybody. And this is why I get to share today. The good news is still for everybody. And if I let my traditions get in the way, who knows what would have happened. Thank you for letting me share a piece of my story. And may God bless you.
That's a fire hose. That is um, a brief, brief summary of the four gospels from Peter's eyes. And it's a lot of Acts chapter 10. And if you've been with us on this journey that started uh, four weeks ago, this is our concluding sermon on the series Beyond the Wall, where we've looked at Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, and then you just heard a great portion of Acts chapter 10. Acts is a book all about breaking down walls. Because these men and women in the book of Acts broke down walls, you and I are able to sit here in purple seats today. Amen? Amen. But my question for us this morning is as we've looked beyond leadership and we've looked beyond our plans and, and we've looked beyond our abilities and we've looked uh, beyond our control in this series, today it's, it's a summary of all that, but one of the things I'd like to introduce too is beyond our tradition. Now, please hear me. Traditions are not bad, but they're bad only when they supersede the preaching of the gospel. And I want you to think about the story, and as you read it this week in Acts chapter 10 for yourself, it would have been very easy for Peter to say, no, we've never done it that way. It would have been easy for Peter to say, no, we, we don't walk into the homes of Gentiles. No, we don't hang out on the rooftop of those that are tanners of unclean animals. No, we don't do it this way. And yet we risk so much by choosing tradition over the gospel. Amen. Can we, like Peter, be hardened towards certain people, denying them the gospel? Even here in an age of tolerance in 2018, are there traditions and prejudices within our own hearts that keep us from believing that this good news is for everybody? It's a question I have to ask myself. And it's a question that you have to ask yourselves. It's very easy to slide into comfortability of I am the way I am, and that's how it's going to be. And I'm so grateful that Peter didn't slide into that seat of comfort, but chose to step out of it, just as Stephen did, just as Saul did, just as Philip did, and the list goes on. I don't expect you, because we're going to be closing here, but um, I do expect you to read <laughs> Acts 10 on your own this week. But I do want to draw attention to a specific verse in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. During this interaction at Cornelius' house, it says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him 
and does what's right. Isn't that beautiful, church? Now, if I'm honest, I would put a little exception in there. How about you? Because I would like to say that, and I would like to preach that, and I would like to believe that. But if I'm real honest with my own heart, I think I have some own prejudice, some own bias, some own traditions that pre prevent the gospel being for everybody in my own mind. I realize that God does not show favoritism. He accepts everyone. The gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we get to preach. It's that gospel, whether you and I think it is or not, is for everyone. Everyone. And I am personally grateful for that as a sinner. That often feels like, no, it's for everybody else. But maybe, maybe not me. Church, that's a lie of the devil. If any one of you have ever thought that you've sinned so much that God can't forgive you. His grace his grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient for you. Yeah, I know you and I might think there's people that don't deserve it, <laughs> but I didn't, and you probably didn't either. But God's love is bigger. So in light of tradition, for me personally, and this is my story, and please hear that this is not a bash on the religion that I'm going to be mentioning. It's just my personal experience. So how can tradition prevent us from the gospel? In my home, part of my testimony, I shared my testimony briefly last week, but part that I don't share often is um, my mom, uh, who's uh, gone on from this earth, uh, love her to death, 100% uh, Italian mom. Do I need to say anything else? Manja, manja, manja. But with that comes a little bit of feistiness. And um, I, I, I know you know that part of it is if you're Italian, you're Catholic, right? That's just how it is. That's the tradition. <laughs> and uh, the tradition, uh, at least in our home, was just to say you're Catholic, but you don't go to church. But you send your kids when they're young. So they could continue the tradition. So we were a part of that. I, um, at the age of 18, when I gave my life to the Lord, um, I probably hadn't been in a, in a mass for 10 years since I was eight years old, you know, but that's how it was, you know, get them grounded and then uh, don't worry about going. So the tradition was there. Now you fast forward and I get in the car accident and I open up the Bible. I start reading the gospel. I see that God loves me. His grace is amazing. And I, I go and I'm going to make this decision for Jesus Christ. And I'm living with my mom and sister now at this time. And I said, Mom, guess what? I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm getting baptized Sunday. And you would have just thought that I told her I killed my sister. 
And my mom, boy, I can see that face right now. She's just kind of like, you're doing what? I'm like, yeah, I'm getting baptized. Son. She goes, you are already baptized. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a baby, she's like, yeah, your father and I baptized you. Um, we, you know, took over and the priest and everything. We had, look at this, look at this beautiful picture of you in a dress. <laughs> Actually, my uncle's right here. I, uh, you were there. He's my godfather. You're the godfather. So I'm like, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't prepared for that. I'm like, and God just did this. I said, Mom, thank you. She goes, what do you mean? I said, thank you for dedicating me to the Lord. See, what she was concerned about is I devalued that. And I had to do something better. And I said, Mom, that was great. That was you and Dad dedicating me to the Lord because I am God's child. And thank you for doing that. I said, but now at the age of 18, I'm making the decision that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) You see how tradition could get in the way of the gospel? We could do a bunch of things in the name of God and not even know him. Now, my mom changed. My mom sat in these purple chairs hundreds of times, driving out from Santa Cruz every Sunday to hear her son preach. And God did an amazing work in her life. If we are going to be a church that goes beyond the wall, now we're summarizing the whole series. We've got to go beyond a lot of the things that are in our heart. Whether they're our plans or our lack of ability or, in, you know, too much ability or, um, you know, I'm in control or he's in, all that stuff. We just, we got to put that aside and press forward because that's what we see the men and the women in the book of Acts did. And because of that, the gospel, the gospel churned upside down a community and a world. And it's that same type of attitude that's going to make this gospel continue to make a difference in our valley, in our country, in our world, is if you and I get beyond ourselves and our hang-ups and preach the good news. God, thank you. Thank you for the men and the women in my own life that were willing to go beyond the walls so that I could hear the gospel that has changed and is changing my life. Even as I reflect and hear those words out loud, about my own experiences and my own mother. I thank you for my mom. And I thank you for the changes in her life to let her get beyond the walls. And God, I look at so many faces out here today that I am so proud of as they have gone beyond the walls in many, if not all, of the categories we've talked about throughout this series. 
But God, for the person or the people that sit here today that continue to come here week after week, because you draw them here, but sit here because they're, they're stuck in tradition, I pray that you would give them sight. I pray that you would give them courage. And I pray that this would be the day that they call you their personal Lord and Savior. For what I've had to learn to grow and know in my own life is that traditions are good, but your word is right. And when push comes to shove, I got to go your way and not mine. God, could you work a miracle? Would you work a miracle in this room even here today? Thank you. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said. listening. For more information on our church and how to get involved, please visit us at wvcch.org or find us on social media. See you next time.